all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Good morning and happy Monday. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Assistant Professor of Nursing and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to be talking all about men's health. June is Men's Health Month, and I could not let the month go by without touching on that topic. My guest today is Dr. John Vanderloo, a family medicine physician with New Care MD, and we're so excited to hear your stories today or your comments about men's health. If you have questions for us, you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464, or you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The U.S. Supreme Court is reinstating parts of President Trump's travel ban. NPR's Joel Rose reports the court has announced it will consider Trump's executive order during the fall term. The Supreme Court has agreed to take two cases on the executive order, which blocks new visas for travelers from six majority Muslim countries for 90 days and suspends the U.S. refugee program for 120 days. The executive order was blocked by lower court judges in Hawaii and Maryland hours before it was set to take effect. Two federal appeals courts allowed those nationwide injunctions to stand. But the Supreme Court has narrowed those injunctions in potentially significant ways. The court will allow the travel ban to take effect for, quote, foreign nationals who lack any bona fide relationship, unquote, to people or institutions in the U.S., though the justices also say the travel ban will remain on hold for the plaintiffs who challenged the order in the first place. It will also remain blocked for anyone who is similarly situated, in other words, who has family members in the U.S. or plans to attend school or work here. Joel Rose, NPR News, New York. The high court is siding with a Missouri church that argued it was unfairly denied public funding it sought for a school playground it runs. The justices ruled 7-2 to today. Writing for the majority, conservative Chief Justice John Roberts said the exclusion of Trinity Lutheran Church from a public benefit for which it is otherwise qualified is odious to our Constitution. In her dissent, Justice Sonia Sotomayor warned the court's ruling undermines a constitutional separation of church and state doctrine. New York billionaire Michael Bloomberg's foundation is offering $17 million to encourage the nation's mayors to tackle critical issues without the help of the federal government. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports cities across the nation will compete in a new contest amid growing concern over Trump administration policies. There's no limit to the focus of the contest projects, but many are expected to address Bloomberg priorities such as climate change, gun control, and immigration policies. Some mayors who've clashed with President Trump on such issues say it's time to bypass the federal government and take matters into their own hands. The contest will award 35 cities with $100,000, 
four others will get $1 million, and one grand prize winner will get $5 million. The new effort is part of a larger initiative aimed at helping America's cities. The winners are expected to be announced in October 2018. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. The family of a black motorist killed by police during a traffic stop has reached a $3 million settlement with the Minnesota city of St. Anthony. Last year, Philando Castile was shot five times. The officer who killed him, Geronimo Yanis, was acquitted several days ago. At last check on Wall Street, the Dow was up 49 points at 21,444. This is NPR News. A new Northwestern University study finds a number of complaints about potentially harmful reactions to cosmetic and hair care products has more than doubled over the last two years. Here's NPR's Allison Aubrey. The FDA has less authority to recall cosmetics from the market compared to drugs, but the agency does keep a database of adverse reactions. In 2015, there were about 700 complaints that jumped to more than 1,500 last year. Consumer complaints about hair and skin care products that irritate the skin are most common. Study author Steve Zhu says many reactions go unreported, and the FDA doesn't always know about problems consumers report to cosmetics. Manufacturers. It's a major gap in our public health safety system for cosmetics when manufacturers are not legally obligated to submit adverse event reports to the FDA. The study is published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Internal Medicine. Allison Aubrey, NPR News. After struggling for weeks to muster enough support for her minority government, British Prime Minister Theresa May has it. Northern Ireland's Democratic Unionist Party has agreed to support May's Conservative Party's agenda in return for a billion pounds in extra funding for Northern Ireland. Here's DUP leader Arlene Foster. We have reached an agreement with the Conservative Party on support for government in Parliament. This agreement will operate to deliver a stable government uh, in the United Kingdom's national interest at this vital time. Scotland First Minister Nicola Sturgeon slammed the deal, saying it shows the Conservatives will stop at nothing to hold on to power. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include visiting angels, professional caregivers assisting adults in bathing, dressing, meals, and light housework nationwide. Visiting angels, America's choice in senior home care. Office locations are at visitingangels.com. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show fit at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, here with my guest, Dr. John Vanderloo. And today we're talking men's health. So if you uh, are a man, know a man, or love a man, we want to talk with you today. We want to hear about um, any of your success stories on getting healthier or getting your guy to go to the doctor. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, or if you have any questions about men's health, we want to talk with you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven 
1-800-722-7464, or you can send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Dr. Vanderley. Good morning, Dr. Bidwell. How are you? I am great. I'm so happy to have you with me today. And you work, um, you're a family medicine physician, and you work at New Care MD. Now tell us what that is, because it's a little different way to practice medicine. It is. It's a lot different, actually. Um, it's sort of an, a return to the old days where you had a primary physician who would do whatever you needed to be done for Anything. you. So uh, I was at university for three and a half years, and I loved being there. I loved the academia. I loved the students, the residents. But what I didn't love was all the bureaucratic stuff that we had to deal with, codes instead of patients, numbers instead of people. And so that led to burnout. And you've probably heard a lot of physicians who are burned out. Um, together with my partners, we decided to do a direct primary care clinic in Madison. And we opened January 3rd. Um, and we have been so blessed and so excited to be helping people. We have about 320 patients. And direct primary care is a little bit different from traditional primary care because we do a monthly membership fee. So we've attracted those who don't have insurance, those who have insurance but didn't have a physician, and those who had a physician but had to wait weeks to months to get into their physician because the system is set up that you can't see who you want to see when you need to see them. All right. So as you call for a sinus infection and you say, well, you can be seen in two weeks. Exactly. Well, I hope I don't have a sinus infection in two weeks. You're either dead or better. <laughs> That's right. So um, the way I kind of think of it is almost like a gym membership. Exactly. You, know, you pay a, a subscription and then you have kind of unlimited access. Exactly. So you have unlimited office visits, um, monthly uh, your emails, uh, text message. We have a secure video FaceTime uh, app that we can talk to people. Um, and it just opens up the door for so many different ways to manage care. So we do some telehealth, but it's the way it's supposed to be done with your primary doctor. So I had a, a truck driver who I saw for the first time and he were treating his blood pressure. And he said, well, doc, I'm not going to be here next week. And I said, that's fine. Just text me your blood pressure measurements. And he called me and I said, we need to go up on the blood pressure medicine. Where are you today? And he was in Gadsden, Alabama. And he said, well, tonight I'm going to be in Mobile. So I sent a prescription for his new blood pressure medicine down to Mobile and he picked it up at the Walmart. And it was just awesome that he didn't have to take time off of work and he had a continuity of care. Right. That is fantastic. And, you know, um, I'm big on lifestyle treatments and lifestyle modifications. And that's often a, a not greatly reimbursed uh, type of uh, intervention for folks. So a lot of folks don't seek that care on how to lose weight, how to uh, eat better, how to exercise more outside of their kind of annual wellness visit. Exactly. And, and that can be something that is done with direct primary care as well, really focusing on prevention. Definitely. Instead exactly. of treatment after after you've already gotten a chronic illness. Exactly. So again, we're talking men's health today. And if you want to give us a call, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring And we do have a call from Bob in Hattiesburg this morning. Good morning, Bob. Bob? Yes. Good morning. I'm here. How are you? I am doing just fine. What can we help you with today? I've got a kind of an odd question about a kidney stone. All right. Asymptomatic. It's visible on ultrasound. Okay. But causing no problems. Would you advise getting uh, lithotripsy and getting it out or just leaving it there? Some people say, other doctors have told me, just leave it there until it's a problem. Some people die with kidney stones. So, so my first your, question is, is how did you know it was there? Why did they find it when they were doing something else? Yes, yes. Okay. 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 Um, Because, you know, if it's not causing any problems, you know, you got to think, why would I go and mess with it? You know, and, you know, that's my personal. Right. right. And I have to assume, Bob, that it's probably inside the kidney. Is that true? Yes. In the kidney, 
diameter about nine millimeters. Gotcha. Typically, intrarenal, what's called inside the kidney stones, can be. It's sort of. It, it may be a ticking time bomb, or it may be nothing. Um, yeah, and that's sort of, if you're not having any issues with it, if it's isolated, I think you probably do okay to watch it. Uh, but routine monitoring would probably be the best thing you could do. Yeah. Um, you know, just like he was saying, it's inside the kidney right now. So those tend to not, you know, cause that much trouble. When they start to move is when people usually start right. to have the pain and right. the blood and that kind of stuff. And what can be the problem is if they're large enough that they prevent urine from getting out of the kidney and getting into the bladder and you start to have backup of urine because that yeah. can actually cause scarring to the kidney and kidney failure. Um, right. So, you know, with with it being nine millimeters, you know, you're kind of on that. It, it could cause you some symptoms uh, if it starts to move. But, you know. I'm sure they talk to you about things to modify in your diet that can kind of help contribute to kidney stones and that you need yeah, to be yeah. drinking. That, that's, that's all done. I'm just wondering whether to let this thing sit or, or have it um, broken up. That's, um, and you're saying it's kind of one or the other. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you do you have a, are you under the guidance of a urologist by chance? Yeah. 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 Um, and typically they're pretty good about, you know, you don't want to have any unnecessary procedure. Um, when you don't absolutely need it. And of course, lithotripsy is fairly uh, harmless. Uh, it's ultrasound. Uh, but I think if you, even if they check it every six months or so, you, you'll know um, the tube that goes from the kidney to the bladder is called your ureter. And that's where we have issues when it gets stuck in there. Um, right. And so, yeah, I think it just routine monitoring would be fine. All right. Thanks very much. Yes, sir. You have a great day. You too. Bye, Bob. And so that brought up a great point, and we can kind of talk about kidney stones for a second because they're made of different things. Mm-hmm. And so there are some foods that can contribute to kidney stone formation. What are some of those things that kind of work on that? You know, they can be calcium. So calcium oxalate yeah. are, are the most common sto- uh, stones. You can also have cholesterol stones if, you're, if your cholesterol is high. And you can also have uric acid stones, which is when you have gout. Um, gout is a buildup of uric acid that gets to a point where it crystallizes and it deposits in your joints and that's when it gets red hot swollen and tender um so any any kind of stone calcium oxalate is the most common um sometimes if you have frequency of stones you can be on a medicine that helps turn your urine more alkalotic which is a sort of an acid base balance um you can take potassium citrate or things like that yeah and make sure you're drinking plenty of water because you know it we call it super saturation when, you know, the conditions are perfect for all those little crystals that are there to kind of stick together and make a ball and turn into a kidney stone. But it's much harder for them to do that if the urine is more dilute. So the more water you drink, the less likely that is to happen. So, you know, things that kind of dehydrate you, alcohol, caffeine. So, you know, I have to have some caffeine. I have to have my coffee in the morning or I'm not a nice person. And my husband and my children both will tell you that. So, you know, caffeine in in moderation, okay, but the majority of the time you need to be drinking, you know, just plain old water. And that's something the majority of us have a big old problem with. Very big aversion too. That's right. You need a minimum of eight glasses of eight ounce Eight, eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day uh, just for general overall health. But that's not including the Mississippi summers when you're sweating, just right. walking to your car, things like that. So it's it's hard to get 
pure water in. Um, if you start young and early with kids, I have four kids and we started with water and they love it because that's basically water and milk is what they've had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have additives that you can put in a bottle of water. Um, and so that may make it more palatable. Even some lemon slices or some lemon would help make it uh, taste a little bit better. But but right. water is awesome. And there's so many fresh fruits right now that are just at the peak of freshness. Get those, chunk them in a jug, put some water in there and put it in the fridge and just sip on that throughout the day. You know, I mean, ideally, I would rather you have just plain old water because there are sugars in fruit, but I would much rather see you drinking some water that has a little fruit in it than to pick up a soda or, you know, even tea or an alcoholic beverage, especially with as hot as it is right now. Cause just like you said, that eight ounces, that eight ounce glass, eight of those a day is when it's just a normal temperature and you're not being very active, but now it's so stinking hot outside that you've, you've, I just carry a bottle with me all the time right. and just try and sip on that. And we do have some open phone lines. So if you want to give us a call and talk with us about men's health, our number is one 672 7464 Or if you don't want to be on the air, you can send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Now, I alluded to this in our uh, intro that guys just don't go to the doctor as often as women do. And, you know, there are various reasons for that that we can think of. And if you guys listening have a reason why you don't like to go to the healthcare provider, I'd love to talk with you about that today. But what do you think one of the most common reasons is? So there's a lot of common reasons that I come across. One is uh, invincibility or or the I'm tough. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I don't need a doctor. I'm doing just that. fine That's on my right. own. Uh, another issue is time. Uh, so many uh, men, particularly, work outside the home. Um, don't want to take time off to go see their physician. It may take a long time, even when you have a routine appointment. Um, so you know, t- um, and then. It, we wear so many hats as men, father, you know, uh, husband, even son, you know, we, we have a lot of responsibilities and it's just hard to put ourselves first sometime. And so, um, you know, when you, when you get on an airplane, what do they tell you? They tell you to put your oxygen mask on first. Right. And if you don't do that, you can't help anybody else. And so it, it's, if you can catch things early, you can do so much more to prevent further complications than if you wait to the last minute and it's already... It's already there. Exactly. It's, you know, it's much harder to, uh, to treat something than it is to prevent something early on. And, you know, one of the things that folks tell me is, well, I'm scared to know. You know, they don't want to go because they don't want to find out that there's a problem exactly. going on there. What do you say to folks? And I tell like folks, you know, it, you can you can get a diagnosis and if you don't believe it, it's still there and it's still doing issues. And 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 it is fearful. And what you want to do is you want to look for a physician or a, a provider that can give you a comforting diagnosis and a comforting environment to talk about your fears and your worries and, and the possibilities of treatment and what you can do. And just because you don't want it to be there doesn't mean it's not there. Right. That's my favorite thing. You know, you can, if you choose not to look yeah, you don't know. But at some point in time, the majority of these disorders are going to manifest themselves in exactly. some form or fashion. Ignorance whether, is bliss until your foot falls off. Right. And then we've got, you know, then we're trying to really chase our tails on that. And it's much, much harder to do that. So what I see folks do is they think we're going to judge them, you know, that they haven't been to the doctor in forever. And, you know, their cholesterol is terrible and they're overweight and their blood pressure is out of control. And we're going to you know, we're sitting there judging them and that is not our job. You know, that's not why we went into this. That's not what we're there to do. To me, we're there to be partners, you know, partners in healthcare. And our job is to meet you where you are, you know, and if it's, you know, that you're overweight, then we're going to start working a little bit on that and getting those numbers down on that, but never a judgment. So 
don't let fear of, you know, your provider or fear of the situation keep you from going and accessing health care. And we're going to talk some more about that and take a couple calls when we come back from the break. If you want to give us a call, our number is 1-877-672-7464. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell here with my guest, Dr. John Vanderloo, and we're talking men's health today on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Normally, I don't recommend eavesdropping, but feel free to join in on my conversations. Our guest this week is best-selling author Greg Isles. I think people have this image of writers that you're sitting at home on your porch drinking men juleps and writing two pages a day you know when i'm when i'm under a deadline i'm working 18 24 hours at a time and the pressure the economic pressure coming from your contract is just phenomenal sundays at 5 30 and thursdays at 10 on mpb to listen to stories and shows go to mpbonline.org This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, fit at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, here with my guest, Dr. John Vanderloo. And today's show is all about men and how to help them be as healthy as they can be. And if you want to give us a call, you can uh, give us a call at one 672 7464 or send me an email at fit at org. And we're going to go to Starkville and talk with Stuart this morning. Good morning, Stuart. Greetings. How are you? Okay. I didn't catch uh, every every minute of the show so far, so okay. this question might have already been answered. But That's all right. A question on, on prostate health. Okay. Uh, in recent years, there has been dispute in the medical community, apparently, about uh, you know, how much or even whether to do the prostate-specific antigen, the PSA test, blood right. test for uh, annual physical or so on. What is the current reading on that, please? Is it better to do it, and how often, and, and how significant are, are the results? And we were just talking about this before we came on the air because I was telling uh, Dr. Vanderloo that if, you know, the guidelines have changed recently and sometimes people in the medical community get confused about whether they should or shouldn't screen. So I know if we get confused that the general population is confused as well. So help us kind of clear that up this morning. Sure. So like uh, Dr. Bidwell said, we've gone back and forth. The PSA is specific to the prostate, but it's not specific to prostate cancer necessarily. 
and it's not specific to the type of prostate cancer. So unfortunately for prostate, we can have elevated PSA levels, which uh, do not mean prostate cancer. We can have mildly elevated PSA levels, which mean prostate cancer. Once you're diagnosed with prostate cancer through a biopsy, you may have very benign or mild prostate cancer, that, and you'll die of old age before you die of prostate cancer. Right. Or you might have a very severe prostate cancer that young younger men in their 50s have died from. And unfortunately, based on the PSA, we have no prediction which type it is and if it is cancer. And so basically the most common, the, the most recent recommendations are have a talk with your patient about prostate screening. The recommendation is don't screen anybody without any symptoms. And so you may say, what are symptoms of prostate cancer or prostate issues? The prostate sits at the base of the bladder and your urethra goes through it. And that's the basically the P-tube that goes from your bladder out through your penis. When the prostate enlarges, it sort of kinks off that tube and it can cause issues with uh, hesitancy, meaning that your flow is decreased or you have issues starting urination. You may have issues with incomplete bladder emptying. Sometimes you may have some blood in your urine as well, and so uh, and, and urinary frequency because you're not able to empty your bladder. So if you're having any of those symptoms, we do recommend talking with your physician, getting a prostate exam, which I joke with folks, it's the best part of both our days. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, usually that <laughs> includes a finger in the rectum or your bottom, uh, and it's very it's painless and quick. Uh, and then we get a prostate level and we look at um, where we stand. Yeah. Okay. Is, is there any relation to PSA numbers and BPH conditions? There is. So BPH can elevate, and BPH is what's called benign prosthetic hypertrophy, uh, and that's where benign means it's not cancerous. Prosthetic refers to the prostate, and hypertrophy means it gets bigger. Uh, and so as men age, it's a very common condition for the prostate to enlarge in a benign way, which can cause the symptoms I just talked about of incomplete emptying. Um, and however, and it may also elevate your PSA a little bit higher as well. So that's the problem is that you can have some benign prostate hyperplasia, uh, hypertrophy uh, without prostate cancer. And it leads to, and the issue it came up was because it leads to biopsies. It leads to follow up. It leads to a lot of what ifs. Uh, right. And so it's not a silver bullet for prostate, but it's always a good idea right. to have a, a frank conversation with your provider. Has it been renamed from hyperplasia to hypertrophy then? So hyperplasia refers to the, the pathological diagnosis. So if you get uh -huh. a biopsy and you look at it under a microscope, you can tell if it's hyperplastic or hyperplasia. Uh, and if you don't have a, a microscope with it, you just term it hypertrophy because it just means bigger. enlarging. Right, bigger. just got bigger. Oh, okay, uh, that, that's all. Thank you for the helpful info. Yes, sir. Thank you, Stuart. Sure. And, you know, that it brings up a, an interesting thing you... Most things should be done not according to straight guidelines, but in conjunction with your healthcare provider, because there are symptoms that even if you fall outside the guideline range, we want to get done. You know, um, mammogram guidelines have changed, but that doesn't mean we don't get mammograms on folks if they're having symptomatology. And that's what people have that. to realize is that they're guidelines, right? So they're general rules for general populations. So nothing is a one size fits all in medicine by any means, right? And you know, just getting the blood test is not. Not enough. Exactly. You, you know, you do need that prostate exam. And, you know, I, I second that emotion because I always tell my, my patients, look at me and go, what? We got to do what? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm not any more excited about it than you are. But it's part of it. Exactly. Because we can tell by feeling the prostate and, and give us clues as to whether it might be a little something more worrisome. You know, exactly. if I can, if I feel the prostate and it's just 
bigger than it should be, but it's still nice and smooth, and each side is the same size as the other side, I'm less concerned about it. Exactly. But if it's you know got lumps and bumps and one side is huge and the other side is not, I'm a little bit more concerned about that. And when I get that PSA result back, if it's elevated, you know, it's not really a conversation. We got to go get that, you know, biopsy and have have a look at that. So, you know, it's a very important part of your conversation that you should be having with your healthcare provider. Now, another important thing to remember is that PSA does go up as you get older. So, you know, you can't just say, oh, the PSA is elevated. You got to say the PSA is elevated and the person is this old. Exactly. Because and there's another thing too, you, and you can have a normal PSA and in a year you recheck it and it, if it increases uh, a lot more than it should, even if it's still in the normal range, because it's a one to four roughly range, um, it may be concerning as well. So just because it's in a normal range, it's called the rate of rise. And what that means is how quickly it went up in a year. Right. And that's why it's so important to have a medical home and have a healthcare provider that's following you so that you can compare from year to year and pick up on things. Exactly. Because, you know, if it was one last year and it's three this year, even though technically it doesn't flag out as being abnormal, I'm concerned about that exactly. and we should evaluate that further. So that was a great, great question, Stuart. And if you've got questions for us, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring or send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org. So while we're talking about the prostate, I want to talk about prostatitis Mm because that's another thing that will bring a guy to the doctor. They usually come with that. And what are some of the symptoms of prostatitis and what is it? So prostatitis is typically, so by definition, it's inflammation of the prostate. It's typically infectious, typically um, similar to a urinary tract infection, uh, but it's a little bit more persistent. Uh, You typically can have some suprapubic abdominal pain, which means sort of right above your pubic bone down um, below your belly button. button, That's right. Um, You can have some burning when you urinate or dysuria is another term for that. You can have some fever. You may even have some discharge from your penis. And those, you mentioned they're infectious. They can be part of of a sexually transmitted infection. Exactly. So anytime that you've got, you know, burning or pain, and what some folks tell me is it's like heaviness, you know, Mm -hmm. it just kind of feels heavy in the genital area. Those are things that we don't want to just wait them out. You know, I'm just going to drink plenty of water and push it on through. Those are things we need to see because sexually transmitted infections in men are often kind of silent. Asymptomatic, that's right. Right, you may not know you have it. And so, you know, you can be spreading it to other folks and it can be doing damage internally even though you don't have symptoms of that and we're talking you know gonorrhea chlamydia those types of infections so any kind of change that you had in your urinary pattern you want to let your healthcare provider know about that and that kind of brings me to testicular issues Mm -hmm. because that is they're usually in younger men Mm -hmm. you know around 15 to 35 or 40 and that's also a group of guys who don't normally seek health care services so talk to me about testicular health and what what guys should be doing to make sure that that's as healthy as it can be and what can go wrong there sure so your testicles obviously hang below the penis in your scrotum um, and they uh, serve to to make um, semen for uh, reproductive um mean for having a baby having a baby putting a baby together Um, and so what you want to do you know you can have testicular cancer and really the the age group that dr bidwell is talking about 15 to to 35 40 uh the two 
main things that are going to kill you are accidents and testicular cancer, which they're very rare still. But what I recommend is at least a monthly examination, any kind of lump or bump uh, you want to get checked out immediately. There are other things besides cancer. You may have a fullness in your scrotum. You can have what's called a hydrocele. You can have a varicocele. Um, and that's just a fullness in your scrotum uh, that may not be a, a nodule, but it could be a fluid-filled area. You want to get that checked out. Uh, that can um, issue that can have issues with reproductive uh, future. Um, and so, if you feel you know, examine. We tell women examine your breasts monthly. Uh, same thing with with younger men. Examine your testicles. Make sure you don't find any lumps or bumps or anything that's not supposed to be there. And I tell folks the best place to do that is the shower. Exactly. Because you're already clean in that area. You might as well just spend an extra minute and make sure to feel everything. And I tell guys, you know, feel all the all around the testicle. You want to feel that whole, you know, kind of oval shape. And then up up it as well, all the way till it touches your, your pelvic bone right. because you've got a little spermatic cord there you want to make sure you're not having a problem with. And, you know, you're in the shower. It's warm. Your hands are soapy. It's much easier to glide over those types of things. And any tiny little bump, lump, anything needs to be taken a look at. You mentioned hydrocele. Those are fluid-filled um, kind of little sacs in there. Varicocele is like a varicose vein, but, but down in there. And then you can have... Um, you know, traumatic injuries to the mm-hmm. testicles as well, like testicular torsion, torsion, which is a medical emergency. That's right. It's sort of like if you take a swing and you uh, on the playground and you swing it, you turn it, rotate it, rotate it, rotate it, it gets real tight. That can happen. And of course, that, that's a medical emergency you need to go to the ER for. Right, because you've got to get that untwisted. Exactly, so or else you lose flow. all the blood flow to right. your testicles. And I usually say that's the quickest way to make a patient mad at you <laughs> is to let them lose their testicle. They will be mad with that. So, um, and people often think that it's, secondary to trauma that you had to get kicked or hit or punched there and it's not sometimes it just happens sometimes it just wakes you up and so you know sudden pain in the middle of the night with some swelling in the area those are kind of the more common symptoms of that not necessarily a trauma to that area definitely so we're going to go to louisiana and talk to timothy this morning good morning timothy good morning how are you i love you you sound so happy today well, I'm grooving on, you know. Yes. My mother said, Timothy, cooperate with everyone and just groove on. So here I, I am. I love it. I'm going to need to get that on a T-shirt that just says groove on. <laughs> That's right. How can we help I you? Have, I have a question about HPV, human okay. papillomavirus, and, um, and um, uh, circumcision. Is there a correlation between... Being circumcised and a and HPV, or being uncircumcised and HPV. Okay, so you know, human papillomavirus is the virus that can cause warts. Okay, so any type of wart is caused by HPV. So the you know the common warts that you get on your fingers that Grandmama told you it was because of frog peed on you. It was not because of frog peed on you. That is a, a viral thing. Genital warts and then HPV also causes cervical cancer as well. And so I do not know of any study that has a direct link to HPV and circumcision or uncircumcision. Um, okay. I will say that things that put you at risk are high-risk sexual behavior, so multiple sexual partners. When you do have a retracted foreskin um, without a circumcision, that's when the foreskin covers the glands of the penis or the head of the penis. It, yeah. There's some issues with um, hygiene occasionally, so it's always good to retract the foreskin and clean in there uh, thoroughly. Right. Um, but the the biggest transmission is probably unprotected uh, high-risk sexual activity. Right. Any type of you know moist skin that touches 
the viral particles or you have the risk of getting that. I was going to mention the same thing as, you know, circumcision is a, a cultural thing for most folks. And here in America, it's kind of the thing to do. Most babies get circumcised, although we're seeing that less now than we, we used to. Um, but the, the main thing is just to do really good hygiene with that. Make sure that you retract that foreskin clean underneath there and then make sure you put the foreskin back where it's supposed to go as well. Yes. Um, yes, anything else? No, ma'am. I just was curious about that. I, I have uh, a brother that died of HIV AIDS and and reading all this, you know, I attended him for years. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was very much involved with that community. And one of the things that they said was that there was a correlation between um, in transmission among uncircumcised folks much higher than circumcised. So I was just curious if HPV was one of the things that was as well. And that would kind of make sense if it's a virus. Since it's a virus, it may very well be have residual, uh, and it could be as well. Right. And, uh-huh. you know, I'm going to look into that some more as well and see if I can pull anything out. And if there is, I'll mention it on a future show. I hope you'll be listening. All right. Well, I, I always listen to y'all because y'all are so much better than Louisiana Public Radio. <laughs> well, thank you for I that. Mean, I mean, every aspect of you, you know, you're from your health shows, to your tech shows, to your cooking shows. You're just so far superior, you know. Well, I so appreciate that. And we yeah. love our Louisiana folks. I try to get over to Louisiana as much as I can. But we thank you for listening all the way from Louisiana. All right. Groove on, Timothy. That's right, Timothy. Groove on. I will do my best. All right. I'll do the same. Absolutely. Peace out. out. So we're going to take a quick break. And if you want to talk with us today about men's health, you can give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell, the host of Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Each week, Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College, joins me and answers questions about credit, investing, saving for retirement, and all things finance. Also, we invite you to call in and share your successes in navigating the personal finance challenges that we all face. Money Talks, Tuesday mornings at 9 on MPB Think Radio. 
listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, fit at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, here with my guest, Dr. John Vanderloo, and we are answering your questions today about men's health. So if you've got a question or a comment, we would love to talk with you today. You can give us a call at 1-877-672-7464, or you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. And we do have a couple of open lines, but we do have a call from Bay Springs uh, with Charles. Good morning, Charles. Yes, good morning. How are you today? I'm fine. Now, I have a question sure. that has developed. Oh, I have a, a problem that has developed over the past, I'd say, three or four weeks. When I have an erection, <clears throat> my penis is bent upward, and it's noticeable. There's no pain associated with it. It doesn't seem to affect my erection, but it's, you know what I mean, it, it's troubling. Right. And, and, and I don't, uh, it's obvious when I have an erect penis there's a dividing line there almost where you can really tell where it's bending. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It does. Okay. And mm-hmm. I have a regular appointment, my you know, yearly or semi-yearly checkup with my urologist in about a month, and I was wondering, if one, if you could give me some info on this, and number two, would it be, depending on your suggestions, would it be okay for me just to wait, you know, to my normal checkup? And, and review this with him, or is it maybe something that I need to address right away? Did anything happen uh, about a month ago where that co- may have caused this? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I, I'm you know I'm married and have sex fairly regularly. I mean, not you know constantly, but no, I, I, I've looked I've looked on the internet, and, and it said a lot of times something like that can be caused from a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, no. Okay, and you're not having any issues with how about ejaculation with yeah. the erection? Well, I've I've had trouble with that for a while since I I got on some um, blood pressure medicine. Mm -hmm. It's kind of affected that. Um, So I don't know if those two are related. You see what I'm saying? Right, exactly. I've had that issue since they put me on this blood pressure medicine. Gotcha. And that's a very common thing. So what happens is when when you lower people's blood pressure, you can also lower sort of the 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 pressure in the pump, if you will. And so the the penis is a... Is a natural pump that fills exactly. up with blood, and so if you lower the blood pressure, there are some other alternatives. If you're having some big side effects with your blood pressure medication, it's causing issues with the erection. You can always talk to your physician again and talk about switching them, uh, and that may make a difference. Yeah. So um, having a curve or a bend <clears throat> in the penis when it's erect is—I wouldn't say it's common, but there it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a, a, a disorder out there called Peyronie's disease that causes a bend in that, and that's usually for, from scar tissue that kind of forms around that part of the penis, and it usually is from, um, you know, maybe a trauma, an infection, something like that. But that usually causes a painful erection, and what you're describing is not not There's painful no, yeah. in nature. No, there's no pain associated with it at all, and I don't have trouble getting an erection. I mean, and no trouble sustaining the erection up, or anything. I didn't know how to pronounce it, but I did look up that <laughs> the, that one that you were just referring right. to, uh, um, and it, you know, it mentioned uh, perhaps uh, you know a traumatic experience, right? In which I, there is nothing, and my wife and I have discussed this, of course, and there was nothing uh, that either one of us can remember that 
could have been called a traumatic experience. Right. right. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, interesting that, you know, the start of a new blood pressure medicine kind of coincided with this. So I think that's definitely something you should talk with your healthcare provider about there. Um, and so don't just stop taking your blood pressure medicine. Oh, I'm not. Oh, no, no. Yeah. You know, that's that's often a, tro- a problem we see where we call people non-compliant with their medication and they're not really non-compliant. You wouldn't take it either if it caused a bad, you know, right. side effect to come out from that. Um, but they may actually wind up sending you to urology. Um, I know that, you know, if if you were my patient, you know, after doing an exam, that's probably where we would go is urology just to make sure there's not anything that we're missing there. And um, I know you said you had an appointment coming up. And I think in the absence of any kind of red flags, like we're talking about discharge, painful uh, erection or ejaculation, anything like that, any skin changes, any... Yeah, none of that is occurring. Perfect. That's I, why think I you... didn't know if it was just, it would be safe or prudent on my part just to wait. I think my appointment's like in the first part of August, so that's not that long away. Right. And, ju- and just discuss these issues with him rather than treating it kind of like an emergency situation right. trying to get a appointment. Because I, I I've been, you know, going to a urologist for years and years. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think in the absence of any of those red flags, if any of that changes, any kind of skin change, any deterioration, any kind of issue where it's painful, um, maybe get that appointment moved up. But otherwise, if, it, if nothing changes except the shape, then you can keep your appointment. Okay. Well, thank you very much for the information. Thank you for calling. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We've got a couple of other callers on the line. So let's go to uh, John and Madison. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning. Uh, I, I like to do resistance training uh, a couple times a week, but I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm not, you know, uh, religious about it. But my question is, when uh, you're supposed to continue to progress with weight, but at some point, your age is going to catch up with you. And I've, I've asked people before, but I've never gotten a good answer. When do you know when it's time to stop, you know, trying to up the way? Or, or at what point do you just say, I'm never going to bench press any more than I am now? And, and actually, I have to start thinking about backing off the weight. Right. Without hurting yourself. Is there any kind of rule of thumb y'all, you, know, y'all, you could give me? Well, you know, my rule of thumb is when you can't do good form, you don't add any more weight. So, you know, resistance training is an important part of an overall wellness plan. Uh, we want to do resistance training about three days a week because um, that builds muscle and it also helps uh, maintain bone health as well. And so, you know, you can increase um, your resistance training a couple of ways. You can add weight or you can increase the number of reps that you're doing and the number of sets that you're doing, uh, which may be a better way to do it instead of increasing weight as you get older. Um, but any time that you feel like you can't comfortably lift it and maintain good form, that's when you've got to back off of that because that's when injuries happen. Um, the other thing would be to find a really good exercise physiologist that you can work with that can design that works with folks as they age so that they can build you a resistance program that is targeting the right muscle groups because we really want to work on core strength as we get older. You know, we always want to get guns, you know, and have big old nice looking arms. Um, But really our core strength is what's really important as we age because that's what helps maintain our balance. And those are what happens as we get older. We start to fall and have injuries that way. So core strength is what I really like to focus on the majority of in, in our older clients. If you want more information about exercise physiologists in your area, I'd be happy to push that out to you. You can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org and I'll be happy to send you some more info about that. And that's different than a, uh, just a trainer? 
It is. There are personal trainers, and then there are people who are, have degrees in exercise physiology, science-based degrees in that. And they usually are also personal trainers, but I like to work with um, the ones that have the degree to back that up, not just the, the certification training. And you've heard okay. the no pain, no gain, but there's you don't want to be having a lot of pain when you're doing something. Again, form is, is so important. Usually the pain comes after uh, the exercise, which is fine. But uh, you, if it hurts when you do something, stop doing it and get it evaluated. Right. You never want to take joints past normal range of motion as well. That's when we tear things and pull things and, and wind up getting hurt from that perspective. So I hope that helped you out a little bit. Thanks very much. You're so welcome. And if you want to talk with us today, we do have a couple of open lines. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. We've got a question from Mobile with Mark this morning. Good morning. Good morning. This is Mark calling from Mobile. Um, I have a question with a little bit of history behind it. Okay. What is what is the recommended time between getting a colonoscopy these days for, for uh, people in general? Okay. So in, for in general, yeah. um, the, the recommendations say that 50 uh, years old um, for normal healthy people with no family history of colonoscopy or no colon issues, polyps or cancer. Uh, and then if that is normal every 10 years after that. Um, if you do have a family history of a primary relative, which means somebody that's one degree away from you, a, a parent, a sibling, or a child, you want to get started 10 years before they had their diagnosis. Right. So if they had colon cancer at 55, you want to get your screening started about 45. 45 exactly. With that. Okay. Well, here's why uh, I'm, I'm making the call, all okay. right? Um, I am actually calling from a hospital bed. I had the upper third of my colon taken out on Friday because uh, colonoscopy found some uh, bad material there. So uh, I'm, I'm making up my own personal uh, crusade to get out there and say, you know, please go out and get a colonoscopy or figure out, you know, if it's appropriate. I asked my older brother, who is 67, and he said, I had one 25 years ago. Yeah, and a lot of folks do that. They're like, yeah, I've had one, you know. Yeah. Or they say, no, I don't want to do that because they're scared of the prep. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, I've had and, two and, colonoscopies. And was, it's not that bad. Yeah, and I, and I was asymptomatic. Right. So and most people are. Right. So every colon cancer starts off as a tiny little polyp. And, again, an ounce, of, an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. So possibly if you had multiple polyps that were small, they could have removed them prior to removing your colon, and um, you could have caught them a lot earlier. Now, there are some hereditary issues where people have a lot of too many polyps to um, to remove. So they do have to remove a colon or if it's too advanced, it's better to remove it. Uh, but again, prep is is uh, not so bad. And just like anything, it's it, the um, knowledge that you'll find is way better than a day of running back and forth to the bathroom. Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's, it's really not not all that bad. So. No, and you, I mean, you, and you, you get a good little sleep, you get a little nap, um, you know, to, to get the colonoscopy done. But, you know, I'm glad to hear you say it's your kind of personal crusade because we need more folks out there telling their stories and, and letting people know that they need to get this done. Only about 60% of people get colonoscopies as recommended. And colon cancer is so preventable when caught early and very, very treatable when caught early. And when it's and, not, it's very, very serious. It is, exactly. it is, absolutely. You know. I've, I've lost a couple of friends to it. So, um, you know, so I, I just thought I'd grab the soapbox here and say, uh, if you've not had one, go get one, if you, you know, if you need one. And it, what about for younger people when, when it's indicated as if they have a 
like a family member or something like that, they should get one even when they're younger. So, right. So, um, primary relative who's had colon cancer earlier, really anytime there's blood in your stool, you don't want to wait. You want to get it evaluated. One of the most common causes of blood in your stool could be hemorrhoids, but until you get it evaluated, it could be a colon cancer that's brewing under there. So if you see any kind of blood in your stool, see your, your provider. Um, and then if there's a family history, talk to your provider about when's the best time to start screening. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, so as I say, I'm calling from my hospital bed. I'll get, I'm supposed to get the uh, biology report sometime the next day or two. Uh, they were able to rule out stage four based on a CT scan. Wonderful. So, uh, you know, anything else that uh, has to happen, I'll just look after and get, hap- get happening. So. Well, good. I'll be All praying right. for you, Mark. We send you All our right. best wishes Thank for a quick so recovery. All right. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. 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 All right, we're going to take a quick break. We've got a couple open lines. You can give us a call at one 672 We're talking men's health today, and we'll be back after the break. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. You count on MPB News for in-depth coverage of issues that matter to you. The state's ongoing opioid epidemic. A bill to allow guns in churches. The child welfare crisis. And the best radio newscast in the state. Those are just a few of the stories behind 10 new Associated Press Awards and another Edward R. Murrow Award. For the award-winning coverage you've come to expect, count on us. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPV Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show fit at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Today is all about men's health, and my guest is Dr. John Vanderloo, and we're taking your questions and comments about that. And we've got several folks on the line, so we're going to go to Chris in Meridian this morning. Hello, Chris. Chris? Yes. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, I had a friend shoot me a message, and um, I haven't been listening to the show today. She said, um, it's men's health. They're talking about circumcision. You've got to get on there, and you got to tell them what you think. All right. Well, tell me what you think. Well, I hear that y'all have been discussing 
um, of relation to not being circumcised and STDs and HIV. Um, so there's been tons of studies out there that has proven um, that that is just ridiculous. The best way to prevent HIV and STDs is condoms. Absolutely. So I just wanted to let you guys know that. And also, I just wanted to put the message out there because it's a greatly received message these days. Um, it's a very progressive thought for a lot of people. Um, but for a lot of people, it's just common sense um, that we should not be cutting babies' genitals. Circumcision is fine when a man chooses it for himself. Um, otherwise, it's pretty barbaric and pointless. So... Just wanted to get that message out there today. We hear you. And actually, what's what one of the things we did talk about was that circumcision is a cultural thing, and we're actually starting to see less folks circumcised over time. And our original, yeah, yeah and our original um, caller had asked about a link between HPV and un, being uncircumcised, and neither one of us had seen a correlation between that. What we did want folks to be aware of is that you know hygiene can be an issue so now that we're seeing more folks that are uncircumcised we just want to make sure that we teach folks you know to take care of their take care of their business and make sure that everything is clean but you know stds are transmitted right right you don't have to cut your children anymore we have running water in the 21st century (laughs) but i'm so glad to hear you mention condoms because that is the the way to prevent the transmission of stds whether you're circumcised or not and they're so important but anytime anytime you have a sexual act without having protection in place you do risk um having an std whether or not they're circumcised so thank you for calling all right did you have another comment i just want to say one more thing sure because i'm sure a lot of people are wondering as a woman, you know, why does my opinion matter so much? But it's actually that women have a foreskin, too. It just has a different name called the preface. And they don't always, a lot of people um, are highly offended at female genital mutilation being compared to routine infant circumcision. Um, They often use the most severe example of female circumcision, which is removing the whole clitoris. Um, But that's not the only way they do it. Sometimes they just remove the preface, which protects that area. So it's the equivalent of removing the foreskin from the penis, which is there to protect the glands. When the foreskin is gone, the the glands is left exposed to the elements, and over time it becomes keratinized. So everyone can look that up. It's called keratinization, and it's very important. A lot of men suffer from it, and they don't even realize it. There's so many complications from circumcision that men deal with throughout their life. And I think that they should be more open about it and talk about it because we can break the cycle and not do this to our sons anymore. It's very important. All right. Thank you so much for giving us a call, Chris, and thank you for your passion and your dedication to getting information out there. All right, quickly, we're going to go to Mark in Tupelo with a question about diabetes. Good morning, Mark. Uh, yes, I was I was calling just to kind of get uh, maybe some opinion here. I Last September, I uh, was 320 pounds almost, mm-hmm. and I, I have, uh, through my doctor and our wellness center here in Tupelo, uh, great experts and, and just a lot of great care, had uh, some folks help me get into the gym and help me get a good diet 
and uh, lowered carbs and educated me that I still needed some carbs. I didn't need to just go with no carbs because right. that could be dangerous. And, and it was just a great, good diabetic information. And then as time goes on, because we kind of caught this early, this is this is this leads to my question. Okay. I've lost 77 pounds, and I was just wanting to know. They basically said I'm in diabetic reversal. So does that mean I get to go back to more normal carb eating, or do I still need to stay low carb? Am I at risk now forever of going back into diabetes? Absolutely. So let's talk about that very briefly because we're almost out of time. But anything can revert back. So, you know, if you go back to gaining more weight and having more concentrated, uh, refined carbohydrates, absolutely your intolerance to glucose, your inability to metabolize that well can return. So not knowing your carb load that you're on right now, I can't make a specific comment about that, but good high-quality carbs and lean proteins are going to be your friend moving forward.